Welcome back, everyone, to Point of Sale, the course of show where we break down great retailers and the data and technology that move their supply chains. Now, today I'm really excited because we get to nerd out about a specific topic that I've, if you know me, you've probably heard me talk about these in the past. Uh, I've actually wrote about a few patents. We're talking IP today, uh, patents within the art industry and logistics as a whole. I think we we talked uh, last year about four kites, a visibility provider, and the visibility patent that they are able to you know, acquire. Uh, we've also also written about the tracks uh, patents that they actually lost over time, uh, and just recently lost in uh, after a court case uh, against someone that they were looking to, of course, get licensing fees from. So it's it's an interesting space to me because. There's so many back and forth between uh, if patents do create innovation, if they're worth actually acquiring, uh, and if they, like I said, restrict or actually motivate those to to innovate, especially when it comes to technology patents and almost ideas that seem um, so abstract that they're difficult to to really grasp and and, and understand. And I'll, let's review actually a, f- a few retail patents and that I think will kind of help you understanding where we're going today with this talk. And, uh, we're definitely going to have a guest who can help us understand uh, the patent maybe industry a little bit more as well. Uh, I think the biggest patent, if we're going to sit here and talk about retail, especially point of sale, uh, is Amazon's one-click patent. It was a game changer. Now, this came out uh, during the dot-com eras. And basically, uh, it covered the technique of allowing customers to make purchases with the payment information needed to complete the purchase having already been entered by the user previously. So in your head, you're probably thinking, well, pretty much every website that I use nowadays down to DoorDash allows that. Well, yes, but we're talking about a time where that was actually pretty obscure. We're talking about the time where Amazon was going from just helping uh, uh, books be sold better online to creating an idea that most retailers couldn't even really consider. Now, uh, of course, it, it definitely paid off for Amazon and its competition. Uh, Apple, for example, ended up licensing it in 2000 for about a million dollars. Uh, Barnes & Noble, which is kind of ironic if you think about how Amazon first entered the scene, Barnes & Noble lost a huge litigation against Amazon for their express lane option back in the day. Now, the amount of that settlement was never disclosed, but we're sure it was at a happy price point. Now, here's the thing. you're Like I said, you're thinking, well, this technology is pretty much used everywhere nowadays. And, and that's right. And that's what the interesting thing about a lot of technology patents are, is they're harder to hold up in patent court as the abstract idea becomes more known and more utilized and more seen across the industry. Their patent expired in 2017. They're already having difficulties fighting it and keeping it up in court, and they just let it die because they understood how obvious that technology had become. That's, again, the interesting thing about technology patents in particular is, like I said, the more commonly that technology becomes used or seen in the industry, the less valuable it becomes. 
Now, there's all types of patents out there, and especially our retailers hold some really incredible ones. Uh, 7-Eleven in particular has a couple of uh, patents. One they have for a weight sensor. Uh, It's used on their shelves where when items are removed from racks, they have a better idea of their inventory in real time. They also have a patent for using the different pixel positions from sensors to determine the location of an object in a certain space. Walmart has filed for some really interesting patents as of recently. Uh, One in particular, this is interesting, an anti-theft device that's actually called an autonomous vehicle uh, content identification system. And it's designed to gauge the weight of a car as it enters a parking lot and what it weighs as it's leaving. So if you were to steal something large or huge that they you know, didn't see coming or, or coming, coming or going, uh, they're check out, well, they're going to catch you as you drive away, apparently. They also have, Warren is another one, and this kind of showcases a lot of times where the company might be going or growing or innovating into. Uh, they have recently filed for an autonomous agricultural system so that they can vertically integrate their food supply chain and have actually more control over the crops that they sell and the fresh produce they sell within their stores. So all this is really interesting. Uh, go ahead and Google Google Patents because they have a really great website for scanning through and seeing. Like, Go check. Uber's got some really great, great ones. Uber Freight's got some great ones. There's a lot of interesting patents out there. And I figured I actually... And then this is a particular I want to say, in entry 2023, my goal is to bring more of the actual retailers, shippers, the big companies that we all know of and get an idea from their point of view of how their supply chains work. And I got really lucky because I got to meet this next individual who I want to bring on, Julian Van Ehrlich. He is actually the senior vice president of supply chain, well, global supply chain fulfillment and logistics for FabFitFun. Uh, Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Grace, wonderful to see you again. Great to be here with you. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. And I think, honestly, I just moved in the other room, but I just got my uh, box at a, about a week or two ago. And I I love that I get to bring on some of the, my favorite brands and learn more about it. The first thing I want to say uh, before we go into the patent talk, like this recent box that I got was probably the smallest box I've ever received, but had such big, uh, large items in it. So even the, uh, I mean, I've been a FabFitFun subscription for years now, at least over five years. And to see like how you work even everything into the smaller boxes, right? And eliminating waste has been pretty amazing. So kudos to you and, and uh, definitely happy to see that a company I love is working to eliminate waste at the same time. Well, we treasure you and our members and also our trees and environment. So we're trying to balance that and bring you and them some joy every time they get a box. Love that. Well, let's dive into uh, the fragrance stuff that I want to dive into today, which is IP and patents. And Julian, you have a number of them. We'll dive into a lot of that here in a second. But I want to talk about the ones that you have associated with FabFitFun. Now, you recently, at the end of last year, just had one come out that enables parcel services to serve demographically targeted ads. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of what this patent says, just so our audience has an idea. It's a system method and computer program product for implementing electronically generated promotion deployment is provided. The method includes receiving electronic data comprising shipment identification, 
for a shipment of an item from a shipping client to a recipient. Profiles generated for the recipient of further client associated with a freight carrier is authorized to generate visible promotional structures associated with packages for delivery by the freight carrier. Julian, what does all of that mean? Let's 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 uh, dump down the language for someone like myself who's entering this space. What exactly is that patent having to fab fit on? So we are in the logistics space together, and a little bit of context. The U.S. digital ad market is about 175 billion. If you look at CNBC data, and it's mostly three entities: it's Google, it's Meta, Facebook, and it's Amazon. And Amazon is gaining market share. So what has happened the last year and a half or so, and it was known in advance, Apple decided to allow its uh, iPhone customers to opt out of tracking. And that meant that Facebook, i.e. Meta, became a lot less useful to many companies to acquire customers because they could not build the demographic data that they could before. So our concept is, and this is, by the way, my opinions, not necessarily FAFIT funds. Our concept is that the carriers in the country, such as FedEx, UPS, and others, could use the recipient data for their many hundreds of packages that they're shipping to individuals around the country to build very rich demographic profiles of those recipients, almost as much as, or perhaps as much as, Amazon knows about the shoppers, even if they don't ship the goods because they know what they chose. Also, shippers like us could opt to tell the carrier what is in the package. So not only do they know who shipped it, how big it is, how much it weighs, what the recipient is doing in terms of receiving from many different uh, shippers, different packages, but also the categories of goods in the package. Now that allows the building of a very rich profile of each recipient. Now imagine that there are potential advertisers out there who want to reach a demographic that they have never shipped to before. The carrier would know that. And the carrier could serve and add to that demographic in a number of ways. It could be, for example, on a tracking page, because as soon as you track the package, they will reference that back to a demographic profile that they built, and they can insert a very targeted ad right next to your tracking search. It could also be on an email update or an SMS update for your package status. It could be on a digital packing slip. So for example, we no longer ship physical packing slips. We send digital packing slips, but we don't do anything else to engage our members with those. But FedEx or UPS or another carrier who's built a profile could know more about our member than we do and tell us what relevant ad to serve inside our digital packing slip. So the general concept is to create a new vehicle for serving ads and finding clients that is novel and that leverages a lot of data that's out there, but it is not utilized by the carriers. It's really interesting, especially, I guess, for for yourself, how do you, did you find out about the, for example, Apple, right, and the changes, and then this occurred? Like, how do you go about working on a patent like this? Almost, it feels like a, like a, uh, like almost like a defensive, you think sports-wise, like a defensive move or like a, uh, 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 an interesting move against, uh, I guess, innovation that could stifle uh, a business's outreach, right, to customers. How do you come together with with groups and create something like this? What is the process like of of even at- obtaining this type of patent? 
what is envisioning what is possible, almost a childlike curiosity, because I never thought yeah. I grew up a child at art, uh, envisioning what could be done to create a whole new means of finding customers that is really highly demographically rich. So that's part of it. Another part of it is we want to be sure that someone else doesn't get patents that would prevent the carriers from doing this if they chose to do it. That someone else could be Google, could be Amazon. They're known to do that, and I can't blame them. They could patent a space so that only they can control that space. Someone else can. So part of the concept is to create a vehicle that could serve ads and be useful to companies like us and many other companies. Part of it is to be sure that someone doesn't come in and prevent the carriers from doing this if they want to. That you, you may know that FedEx in December actually tried that with a few companies. So it's not you know, private information. It's publicly known that FedEx tried serving digital ads, but they were not targeted to the package recipient. They were just randomly served ads and we participated. So this is in its nascency and FedEx has an entity called Digital or DataWorks that they've invested a lot of money in that is looking for ways to leverage the data that they have. And we want to be sure that we can provide one way for carriers to feel comfortable if they can invest it. Yeah, and it's, it's honestly, it seems like really incredible timing too. I've been reading a lot about what retailers can do during times like these when there is any less consumer spending. And the biggest thing is promotion, marketing, and generating really new sales from from those that they haven't reached in the past. So it's been interesting for myself to kind of, in the same way, kind of like curious and nerdy in the way of like watching companies, even like Walmart, expand their marketing services and things of that nature where, you know, a regular consumer just considers Walmart as uh, the superstore that they can go to pretty much grab everything at a lower cost. But it's really, I guess, interesting to see companies like yourself and just someone like yourself as well invested in ways that, yes, you can use like data to really grow and expand during these times. Yes, it's a necessary thing for us to do because the search for relevancy is critical. You don't want to be bombarded with irrelevant ads that you don't want to respond to and you're being hit up again and again and again. So part of it is to create relevancy and also to create a platform that terrorists can invest in because this will be a very, very large undertaking to create the kind of technology that can do this effectively. And having patents can afford that protection. That When you license that patent, whether it's exclusive or non-exclusive, you could be pretty comfortable that that investment is more likely to have a return. A hundred percent. And I, it's from the people I spoke to who have uh, received patents, especially in their space, that's usually uh, that big point. And also just protecting the incredible work that uh, those have done to improve uh, their logistics capabilities, which I want to dive into this next one that you acquired last year as well. It was a patent for technology that addresses a significant gap in capabilities of warehouse management systems and managing expiring product with multiple serving stays. So to give a little verbiage out there for our audience, disclosed our systems and methods for inventory management based on effective days to expiry account accounting for serving days of an expiring item and inventory days of supply. Uh, there's more verbiage to that as well, but can you tell us a little bit about this one and where the idea for uh, this IP came about as well? I was in the semi-perishable business and in the nutritional supplements business in my past, and we had the following problem. 
we would have a 180-day supply of fish oil bottle. However, it expired in 150 days. So the actual item expired in 150 days, but the contents expired in 180 days. So when you get it as a customer, your last 30 servings have effectively expired. And there is no technology today that ties together when the item expires versus when the contents expire. So suppose you get a tube of retinol cream or sea serum and that tube lasts six months, but it expires in four months. Today's WMFs are going to ship and that creates a customer problem. Or two stores, one store is a half million a year store and one store is the 10 million a year store. The WMSs are going to ship the first expiring lot to both of those stores, when in fact, they should ship a longer life lot to the slower turn store to avoid markdowns and mark out of stock because of customer perception or expiration. So that problem, we have to deal with spreadsheets and tell our, our fulfillment provider specific lots that they were to pick for specific tra store transactions from a spreadsheet, which created manual orders because no WMS could handle it. So this technology addresses that problem for WMS systems, whether they're off the shelf, such as our high jump or Manhattan, or it's their custom built like Amazon's. But that's the problem we try to deal with. And it's a very big one in retail. You know, my experience is that retailers are losing on perishable product, somewhere around 1.4% of margin by having to mark down items or marking them out of stock because of that content expiration. Thank you. That is very interesting, especially <laughs> the retinol cream I just got in my box this last month too. So I'm, I'm happy to know that I used it and it wasn't expired for this exact reason. No, uh, I, that's, it's just, it, it, it's so many interesting small problems, uh, especially a company like Fun, right? That's moving so many different SKUs. And I think about, yeah, all these even larger companies that are dealing with we talked about Walmart a little bit too, Target, a lot of those companies who are moving not just food, but uh, medicines, makeup, et cetera, right? That's, uh, this could help solve a lot of issues as well. Uh, did you see any issues when, like, I guess when you're building out or um, creating the, the verbiage for a lot of these, and sure there's lawyers and things like that involved, uh, when you're working on these pads, are there any problems that arise uh, throughout the process that are, you commonly have to deal with as well. A strict concept issue is going to be the primary one where you have to show the patent office why this is more than an abstract idea and why there are very tangible applications and tangible steps that take place that simply humans by themselves could not do. So that is one of the issues. And of course, all of the prior art, one has to study the prior art the world over, not just patented art, but any kind of published art that someone else might be practicing something that even if there's no patent, you have to show that there is no known art anywhere that relates to this concept, that it is not abstract, that it has practical applications, and you have to show a potential user how they would do this. So all of these things come together and we have relationships with law firms that are that kind of understand how we think and that we've worked with for years. So that's the product of that kind of effort. Well, and let's talk about you because just even Googling your name, your name pops up on a, a number of different patents out there, a variety of companies in general. How did this become almost like a personal endeavor for you? And and how have you worked this in the different parts of your career as well? It began with Transworld Entertainment in the early days where CDs and DVDs were sold in stores. 
and there were 40,000 new releases a year now. And the problem was how do people experience so many new releases? TV only plays a small fraction of the top ones. So we created a system in store where you could scan the barcodes of CDs, DVDs, games, and so forth, and then see and hear digital snippet samples throughout the store. It was a huge success. We invested $41 million across a $2 billion company, and everybody copied us. So in no time at all, Target put them in, Barnes & Noble put them in, and so on, and they were very successful. And of course, we did not patent it. So <laughs> as, that, as I learned from that process, hey, if you have a pretty good idea, why don't you first see if it's protectable? So that was the genesis of it. <laughs> No, it's a it's a great learning story, right? If you didn't, if you don't lose, you learn, right? And I think that's a, a big one. And now that you have all these different patents, is there any favorite, do you, a favorite patent of yours, or maybe area of patents that you hold as well? So, Grace, today it is not the patents I'm involved in, but what I find really cool are two areas. One is the area of bioengineering. The programming that is inherent in organisms and finding out how to impact that program, I think is fascinating. And the other is space exploration propulsion technologies that will help us explore space faster and get the place to place faster. I think those are going to have huge impact. So those are areas that I'm kind of watching. In terms of things that I've been involved with, you know, apart from the ones that we're dealing with at Fit Fun, I have a couple of patents that are also backed by a couple of peer-reviewed papers that deal with a topic in finance, which is asset valuation, how stocks, bonds, gold, and so forth are valued. And you know, we have a, a theory that we've proven empirically that is the only one out there that basically shows that all assets are priced based on a constant. There's an economic constant out there against which the stock market is valued and so forth. So I have two patents on that subject and four published peer-reviewed papers in finance journals. And that's really a very cool area because that's something in its nascency. Today, there's really nothing else that shows how assets are valued. That is uh, probably the biggest one I saw when uh, I saw it pop up. And, it, and that's what got me really intrigued by you because it's, from what I know you from, it's a lot of logistics, supply chain, decades of uh, time within this space. And then I see this wealth focus, uh, a patent, and it's like, Wow! Yes, you must be very curious. So I love, uh, I, I love all of that. It's it. We should we need to get coffee or beer or something and go over this because we could make this episode probably two hours long. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, well, hey, let's go to Mars together and we can let's talk about it the whole way there, right? Uh, um. uh, let <laughs> let's uh, last question for you. And this is kind of uh, goes back to overall views of patents in particular, especially technology or abstract patents. Do you feel, some people I think say like, hey, it it stops innovation, right? That's someone has the idea that people are able to get past that. Do you feel that it does potentially suppress innovation? And if it does, at what, at what parameters? Or do you think it actually fuels innovation over time? I'm going to relate that idea, which is a great question to capital intensity of an idea. If an idea has a lot of capital intensity in order to realize it, capital is going to have, the first question they're going to ask is, are you patent protected? So that capital can get a reasonable return on the risk it takes to back the idea. 
So I would say that ideas that are very capital intensive are actually spurring innovation by having IP protection because they will attract the capital to realize them. And the global patent system has another big advantage because it creates a repository of data that is searchable, which by definition has to show you how to make something. So it actually spurs innovation by being out there so people who are exploring an area can see how others have approached it technically and learn from that and expand upon it and improve upon it. So I would argue that it does a great deal of good to spur innovation, except at the point where the ideas are not very capital intensive. And then there may be some degree of innovation suppression because you can do something that someone else could have easily copied with very little capital, but they can't because only you can do it. But I think most of, of the really you know, world-changing ideas are going to be quite capital intensive. And therefore, I believe it spurs innovation. Yeah, and that's what many people I've talked to have IPs, especially in this space, is that exact reason. Not only the capital, but the work that their uh, teams put behind it, right? Uh, it's worth protecting at the end of the day. And that's what makes this country great, is that we have the option and the capabilities to to protect those free ideas that we're allowed to have. So, uh, Julian, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to definitely have to have you back on here in the future. And uh, for everyone out there, go check out Bad Fifth Fun, what they're offering. Uh, it's a wonderful time, man. As a Frank there, what a great episode. I absolutely love that. Thank you again to Julian and the team. For everyone out there, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you go to FreightWaves.com slash POS. Sign up for a point of sale newsletter and check out our new episodes every single week on Waves TV as well. Thank you all for listening. Keep on shopping so we have more shows to come. 